I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, guys, and welcome to episode six of Travel Talks. This week, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Christian Harold Baker. So Christian did something which I'm sure many people listening to this have once dreamed of. Christian and his girlfriend quit their jobs and went traveling around the world for nine months. They visited places such as India, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, Malaysia, Hong Kong, China, Indonesia, and many, many more. We discussed how much money it cost to go on this nine-month around-the-world trip, all of the different foods they ate whilst they were out there, and also the stunning photography he was taking whilst on the trip too. I'm sure you guys are going to love this episode, so I'll stop rambling on and let you listen to it now. Um, and we, we sort of poured a glass of wine and we were like, sort of this, let's, let's go do something else. You're just walking along through a jungle and all of a sudden there's an orangutan there and they're, they're more impressive in person than you can, you can kind of possibly imagine. People rent stalls in the morning and like one dude might do it on a Monday and he might have the best, I don't know, hoisted duck on a Monday morning and if you miss him, he's not, you can't find him again. There's a proposal and the room erupts in cheers and chance of USA, USA goes on. And as 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 my wife is clapping, sort of smiling politely at a new new couple, she she leans over to me and she says, I'd absolutely hate it if you did that to me. Christian, hi, it's great to have you on the podcast, mate. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine, fine, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you, mate. Just getting used to this weird lockdown life that we're living. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, it's um, it's the stage two of lockdown isn't isn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. I kind of went into it very optimistic, but like, oh, it's only four weeks, we'll be fine. And it's sort of two weeks in now, and I'm like, okay, I would very much like this to finish. But I got a dog. I, I did the classic lockdown thing of getting a dog, so we've been able to take her for walks, which has actually been quite nice to get out of the house compared to um lockdown one where we were stuck in our flat. Oh, amazing. What breed? She's a German whitehead pointer, which is a which is a far bigger dog than my house warrants, if I'm honest. <laughs> uh, we've got a two up and two down, and um, yeah, she's a she's a big breed. Oh, nice man, awesome. So I wondered if we could start by giving the audience a little bit of an insight into how we met each other. Okay, yeah, cool. I can do that. So we met in 2016 when you uh, were uh, having a jolly in Barcelona, <laughs> and I I uh, worked very hard to make sure you had a good time, uh, which isn't completely true. You were with Tubes, um, and we were there as part of a football sponsorship tour, I guess, like yeah. like event. Um, so I was part of the staff there, um, running the social media for my client, who was hosting YouTubes and a few other celebrity influencers, um, and we spent four days in Barcelona and finished it off playing on the camp now, which was, I think, you know, still a pretty remarkable memory. Yeah, Tubes actually spoke about that in his episodes and actually described it as the greatest work experience he's ever done in his entire <laughs> life. So that's that's good for you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was remarkable. I mean, Tubes was a ridiculous football player. I remember thinking because I, I hadn't met him, whereas um, whereas Gertz, um, uh, David Gertz, who was who was on working on or my boss at the time on the event had obviously new tubes through through football and he's like oh yeah tubes is an unbelievable football you won't you won't hmm. believe when you see him when he gets a football wise feet and we're like okay yeah fine we went to the Barcelona training ground which is again another ridiculous situation and we had all of these all of the sort of competition winners and the influencers having a training session with Barcelona coaches he was just pinging balls left right and center doing crossbar challenges like it wasn't wasn't anything and yeah then I think we had sort of four really nice meals out including dinner on the camp camp now pitch which was just remarkable and then yeah the 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 match where I got embarrassed in goal um <laughs> and had to just sub myself off just took myself off and went and sat down the sidelines because there's there's no way that I should have been on that pitch oh, awesome experience but we'll move swiftly on from that and I want to ask the question which I ask everyone at the start of the pod 
how important is travel to you? So travel is massively important to me. And one of the biggest frustrations we've had this year is we haven't been able to travel. Um, no, it, it's massive for me. I think growing up as a kid, um, we, me and my family didn't travel a huge amount. We sort of did the classic, you know, a couple of weeks in France, a couple of weeks in Portugal, which is where my parents now live. And, you know, we did the occasional big holiday where we went to Florida. But sort of as I got older into my teens, I started doing ski trips to schools and then sort of into adult, early adulthood where um, myself and my partner and her family went to sort of Asia. And then obviously uh, we, when you start working, going to weekend breaks, all of a sudden your, your horizons open, you realise how big the world is, but also how like, familiar everything is and how similar everyone is. Um, and, you know, for, for me, it's been, it, it's been, it's one helped me who I am today. I think it's given me the confidence to sort of, to, to, to be who I am and likewise the experiences I've had from from traveling are are things I reference you know every single dinner party or every single get together and you know I'm a big foodie as well so that's a that's a major part too awesome man so the main reason that I wanted to get you on the pod today is because you did something which I'm very envious of and hopefully at one stage in my life I'll do is go traveling around the world for nine months with your girlfriend so I wanted to yeah. just give us an overview as to where you went and the countries which you visited. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think the first thing to think about is sort of that, that nine months. It was a it was a real knee jerk decision. I think it was a particularly tough day in in like February. Um, me and my my now wife, a girlfriend at the time, came back to work. We were both living in London, um, and we we sort of poured a glass of wine and we were like, "Sort of this, let's let's go do something else." Um, and we sort of planned it. And now, initially, we were going to do like a whole year around the world, and we were going to try and get to South America as well. But once we sort of did the numbers and looked at the sort of the, uh, uh, I guess, the itinerary that we were going to do, we just realised it wasn't going to be feasible. So to come back to your, to your original question, where we went was we, we flew from London to India. We had, a, we had a month in India. We went from India to Thailand, travelled up the north of Thailand, crossed over into Vietnam, down Vietnam into Cambodia, Cambodia to Malaysia, Malaysia back to Thailand, Thailand to ooh, Hong Kong. Hong Kong to China, China to Singapore, Singapore, Singapore to Indonesia, Indonesia to Australia, Australia to New Zealand, New Zealand to um, the West Coast of America. Oh, sorry, Fiji, Fiji to West Coast of America. We spent uh, six weeks in West Coast of America and then we flew to Chicago, then flew to New York and then flew back to London. Absolutely smashed it, by the way, because I went through your Instagram <laughs> on the yes, preparation for this and rattled down all the countries and uh, wanted to make sure and see if you got it right. And you got it absolutely spot on. Good memory. Yeah, huh? great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a little grey gap between China and um, Southeast Asia where we, we were just starting about all the time. So, yeah, OK, I'm, I'm glad I got the list right. <laughs> so before we start talking in depth about what that kind of trip was like you alluded to it there the fact that you saw you thought kind of sod this we're just going to pack everything up and go traveling for nine months i wanted to ask you what kind of commitments you had in the uk to leave behind we we, we actually didn't have any you know we were renting a flat in london um you know other than other than quitting our jobs which was obviously quite a big decision we didn't we don't have any pets you know we had we had family members but we weren't missing any big birthdays we didn't have any you know close friends weddings coming up and we didn't have we don't have any children so in terms of commitments um you know we didn't have a mortgage which is another thing um we, we didn't really have any and i think that was a, a big drive for us we myself and my wife we'd, we'd gone you know straight from school to uni straight from uni to work we hadn't done that sort of typical thing which a lot of our friends have done which was have a gap year between school and uni or or, or have a gap year after uni um so we didn't feel like we were missing out but we, we definitely realized that we wanted to sort of see a bit more of the world before we settled down got a house had kids got a dog which is you know nearly the situation i'm in at the moment so um yeah in terms of commitments uh, we didn't have any that said if people do have commitments outside of work you know i don't think i don't think it should stop you we when we were traveling we met people who had babies we, we met people who who were working as they were traveling we met people who had you know uh, you know rented their house out for an entire year so i i think the way that you know modern life is now and particularly now the way we all con connect through zoom um i don't really see there being an issue in people sort of dropping everything and going away and experience a bit of a world i wanted to ask you though it must have been a difficult decision to perhaps leave your family your friends how tough was that for you um well so 
I think it was slightly easier for me because at that time my, my parents had just moved to Portugal themselves um, so they'd, they'd had a sort of holiday home there for a few years and I think a, a similar decision made by my mum one day where it was particularly rainy in December she was like oh it's 22 degrees in the Algarve why don't I go live there mm. um, and you know just one of those timings which worked well for them so in terms of me like leaving my family behind it wasn't, it wasn't too fiddly I think for, for my wife is um who is, is close with her family, it was a little bit harder, but likewise, we knew it was only gonna be nine months. We were living in London, we were seeing our family only semi-regularly. You know, our friends were all starting to move away and you know not be so centralized. And so, it, you know, again, we, we kept in touch. We had an Instagram account, people could follow us as we went around the world. Uh, you know, we actually met up with a few of our friends um, as we went. One of them was working in San Francisco when we were there, so we met up with them. Um, one of my close friends from school was actually teaching in Vietnam, so we went and saw them. So we weren't, you know, we were still keeping in touch with people and. Uh, um, it wasn't it wasn't a deciding factor the, the, the quitting the job was more more of the issue uh, <laughs> uh, because we didn't know we didn't know if we'd be able to get one when we came back but yeah um, actually work both workplaces took it pretty well so brilliant so I was going to mention your job it says on your LinkedIn that you took a sabbatical uh, <laughs> yeah. is that correct <laughs> uh no I, I quit i quit my i quit my work and, and got a new job when i came back so i, I was working for a sports sponsorship company uh, the one that i was working at when i when i met yourself um and then i left and um my initial fear of not having anything when i came back mm. was was unfounded i had a few job opportunities and a few job offers um the one that i'm currently working on um in my sort of social media role is the one which i got you know pretty soon after coming back so it all kind of worked out for the mm. good you know there's a there's a couple of months where we um well we, we, we weren't working but you know we were living with family or, or george's family and um we had we had a little bit of money left over so we could keep ourselves ticking over when we got back and that was part of the plan as well so yeah worked out in the end yeah, nice man. And you mentioned the fact that it was a kind of knee-jerk decision, but obviously you can't just do this kind of thing overnight. How long was it kind of playing on your mind as, okay, I want to pack this all in and go traveling around the world? Well, if it, we, we, we talked about going traveling for a while, but it was always a, you know, a next year thing, a next year thing. That sort of, that, that sort of decision in, in February where we both sort of looked at each other over a glass of wine and went and stuff this really was like a genuine knee-jerk reaction. It was like, okay, well, let's just do it. I think that was on a on Tuesday night. On the Saturday, we went to SDA tra Travel and Trail Finders, picked up all the brochures that we could, took them home, started planning out an itinerary, and, and then we took it from there. So I think we, we decided on the, in the February of 2016. So I was probably planning it when when we were in Barcelona together mm. and we left in the March of 2017 and we saved up all the money between then and there. We moved home for a little bit and saved, you know, saved a little bit more money as well. Um, which is obviously we were, we were in quite a fortunate position to do so. But yeah, it was, it was relatively knee jerk. I remember, I remember us telling our friends and then being like, well, that's quite, um, myself and my wife are usually quite seen as sort of steady Eddie, safe pair of hands, don't really do yeah. anything too chaotic. And sort of our, our friends, even the more chaotic group being like, Oh, that's that's a brave decision. I'm really jealous, and still none of them have done the same thing. Yeah, it is a brave decision, mate. I respect you for it. Um, you mentioned planning your trip and the fact you were doing it for quite a while. Um, how did you come up with the exact route and plan that you would take? We picked a couple of places based on us, the likelihood of us being able to do it again in the future. So. Um, especially in Asia, we knew that in, in 10 years time, if we had kids, it's just going to be a hard trip to take. So mm -hmm. we wanted to spend as much time as we possibly could there. Similarly with India, we, neither of us had been to India um, or, or um, uh, my wife's family or my wife's dad was born there. Um, as part of it, his dad was an expat and they moved back to London. So there's always been sort of an intrigue, both from her side and also, I, I, you know, it's quite a romantic place to go to. So we were pretty keen to do that. And likewise, if you're going to travel around halfway across the world, you might as well stop up in India going that direction because yeah. it's such an incredible place to go and see. So we, I think India was like the starting base and we were like, okay, where do we want to go next? Okay, so you then look at Central Asia, it's like nowhere really picks, you know, stands out for there. So, okay, let's go to Thailand. And then you do the classic backpacker route of yeah. Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia. And then uh, we actually weren't planning to go to Malaysia at all. But when we were in um, Thailand, we realized we were, some, we were getting around much quicker than we expected. And we'd, we'd have some spare time. So we're like, okay, well, if we just go here, we can fly over and then fly back to Bangkok for roughly the same prices it would cost us to get back to Bangkok anyway. So we should just do that. And then we wanted to go to China because, again, similarly, other side of if you're on that side of planet, you might, you might yeah. as well go to it. And yeah, we kind of just, we kind of sort of just pointed in a direction, and just carried on going that way. Yeah. So there wasn't. I don't think there was much more thought into it really. Other than if you're in that area, you might as well go to the next area rather than sort of jetting away back. And and that's the trouble we had we had with South America because the the decision was: do we go from Australia, New Zealand to South America? 
and then come home. But that adds like South American transportation isn't particularly reliable. So we would have only had like six weeks of our budget when really we needed three months of budget. So we're like, okay, actually we can go to the States and drive around and we get much more of an experience there doing things we need to in six weeks rather than if we sort of were you know, starting in Chile, working our way up for Argentina and just being on buses all the time. So we, we decided that there, there'd be probably be places in South America, be it Buenos Aires or Rio de Janeiro, that we could go to as adults. And um, it'd be slightly, you know, the, the time difference is slightly more favourable, so it'd be easier to do. Yeah, so you mentioned the fact that um, in Thailand you were getting through a bit quickly and perhaps you've adjusted your plan there. I wanted to ask that plan that you set out and to actually achieve, did you stick to it or was it quite fluid? Southeast Asia in particular was super fluid. So we we literally didn't plan. We had we had like key flights, which is basically the flights we had to hit as part of our wider travel agreement. Mm-hmm. So I think we had, I think it was like London to London to Delhi, Mumbai to Bangkok, Bangkok to Hong Kong. I think that might have been it. And then Singapore to Indonesia, Indonesia to Australia, Australia to New Zealand, and then basically the whole way around. Other than those flights, we could do it wherever we wanted. And we had a like rough idea what we wanted to do, but it was relatively straightforward. We were booking flights like sort of two or three weeks out. So um, when we flew to Bangkok, we didn't really know where we were going to go. We knew we were going to go north. We knew we were going to go to Vietnam, but we didn't know if we were going to go to Laos. We didn't know if we were going to go to Cambodia. So other than booking trains sort of every you know two days in advance and then booking flights when we needed to make internal flights, we had a pretty fluid plan, but with like sort of key key days that we know we needed to be in the city by. Yeah, so hostels and stuff you completely did when you arrived in a location? Uh, we sort of tried to plan two cities in advance. So what I think when we were in Mumbai, before we went to Goa, we were planning Bangkok because we knew we'd be in Bangkok for four days, but then we'd arrive in Bangkok. We'd probably spend, so we'd land, go around the neighbourhood, have something to eat, and then we'd sit down at our laptop for two hours and kind of decide where we wanted to go to next with a rough idea, thinking we'd knowing what we'd want to do. We've also, you know, trying to trying to sort of not travel all the time because you can get into a little bit of a habit of being like, okay, and today we're going to go here, and then the next day we're going to go here, and then all of a sudden you spend an entire week travelling and you haven't seen much. Yeah, hostels were being booked about um, at worst a week in advance. So I want to move on to an element of travel, which uh, I'm sure people will be really interested in. And that is, of course, money. You sent me across the most detailed spreadsheet I've seen in a long, long time for this pod. Really appreciate it. The kind of research I want to do. (laughs) My girlfriend absolutely loves it as well. Complete Excel nerd. She was going through it. Loved it. So it had details of your food. Uh, how much it would cost your travel your hotels everything which is awesome for me to prepare for this how much did you save to do the whole trip i think if you if you include everything so that's that's sort of all hostels all the food our money our money for when we came back traveling as well emergency fund um a cost of our sort of rental vans i think all in it was 22 or 23 thousand pounds for 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 two of us so yeah i mean a decent a decent amount of money to be, to be fair but likewise nine months 11 grand each about 1400 pounds per month and to save that kind of money how did you find that uh fiddly yeah but then but then we you said as we were we were in london for 10 months so we were already saving a decent amount we we, we um i started walking to work a lot more and getting buses and tubes we, we stopped eating out as frequently you know we, we our lifestyle didn't, didn't didn't suffer too much but we did make a couple of like lifestyle choices you know we, we, we wouldn't go to very expensive restaurants we just go to some like nice medium you know medium price restaurants yeah. um and then likewise you know we, we were both quite lucky that year where we both got a bonus um and then we moved home we moved to George's parents for a couple of months before we went, which allowed us to kind of just not do anything other than put, you know, we had we had commuting costs and we had travel travel savings. And that was it. And those last three months were the ones which really ramped up mm. our um, capability to, to save up and had enough. And we had a little bit, you know, we had, you know, in fairness, bank of mum and dad, if we did get mm. into emergency, emergency yeah. situation, which we didn't get into. But um, yeah, it, it took a while, but it, was, it, was, it wasn't particularly difficult, I don't, I don't think. Yeah, so 22 grand for two people. I don't want to sound out of touch, but it seems achievable if it's a goal that you really, really want to achieve. Mm-hmm. But do you think you could have toned it down? So for example, if, if people are listening to this and they're kind of thinking, oh, that's perhaps a little bit outside of my budget, could you have done it cheaper? Yeah, 100%. So we um, uh, we stayed in like probably the higher end of hostels. We probably had a private room most of the time because, you know, we, we've been together 10 years. We're, we're a couple of mid twenties. We don't, we don't want to be sharing, uh, um, eight bed bunks with, um, a load of, a load of teens. So you, you could definitely do it cheaper, but that all said, we were, 
we were pretty shoestring. Like when we were in the States in particular, we were having, you know, we were cooking for ourselves most of the time. We weren't really eating out. Mm. Um, you, you can make savings, but then you you make sacrifices about where you want to do as well. So if you want to go camper vanning in, in Australia, then, you know, you're, you're going to probably be paying $25 per campsite. So that's cool. If you've got money, if you don't want to do that, you can go free campsite. But if you don't free campsite, you're probably not going to have a shower. Mm. Um, it's probably not going to be an area which is going to be particularly touristy. So you're going to miss out on a couple of sites. And again, it comes back down to points. Like you could do that trip in half a time, but you're smashing it around and you're traveling all the time. And mm. um, we felt that that budget gave us a good balance of being able to do things we wanted to do while also not, you know, not being plush and not, not um you know not staying in hotels and not you know having having somebody pick up our luggage for us and take us to and from the airport all the time it was it was you know proper back it was backpacking but um yeah with with enough money that we were able to do the things we wanted to do and was that a goal of yours to kind of make sure that it was proper backpacking because of course as you kind of get a bit older and you move into your 20s you kind of think oh i could avoid the hostels could go for the hotels could go for the the first class trains was was it in, an intent of yours to make sure that you saw proper backpacking i think it, i think it was a a result of the plans that we had around where we want to stay so we didn't want to stay in hotels particularly because you know when you are traveling as a couple for nine months you do want to have a little bit of like people to be so, to socialize with as well you mm. don't want to be stuck in a hotel room time. you want to have the common room space you want to be you want to be in a a younger area which is invariably where most of the hostels end up being you know we don't want to be going to Ritz Carlton's and having you know just we just don't need it so once you make that decision it's quite easy to then commit to hostels so yeah I think that it was definitely we definitely targeted places based on okay are we going to have a good time here or or are we going to kind of end up just being a bit alone again and I think from that that culture you, you do end up doing a bit of backpacking i mean yeah there were times where things were a bit ropey but yeah, it's, it's it's part of the experience i think yeah and just going back to the spreadsheet you, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you set out quite a detailed method of trying to budget on a daily basis did you stick to that <laughs> roughly um so what what the budget allowed us to do is okay on one day we know okay we're going to do this activity which is over budget for the activity but we're not going to do an activity the next day so we can take it from there we could input the, the money and it would basically tally down so the next day you knew you had a little bit more budget the, the budget was based on I think lonely it was either lonely planet or SDA travel basically gave us a cost of your, your average hostel cost your average cost of food per day and your average activity cost and that's all it basically is and we just put it in, we tallied it all up and we went, okay, well, that's going to be a pretty good good estimate of what we're going to be spending. Um, and it ended up being, you know, pretty close to what we did end up spending. You know, there'd be a couple of days where we wouldn't do any paid for activities, but we'd spend a little bit more on food or we'd go on a food tour or something. So it ended up being slightly different. But we did, we did sort of, we did update that spreadsheet every day for nine months. So yeah. <laughs> what was that like yeah fine yeah again yeah. You just, i think you just you just get used to planning all the time mm. you because you have you we had my had my laptop on me so we were looking at places to go you're looking for restaurants you're looking for hostels you're looking at train times to get to the next place so it doesn't take long to open google sheet and go okay well what did we spend yesterday okay 200 baht cool just put that in and um and there you go and you're, you're updated and ready to go with where you need to next brilliant and from all of the countries that you did visit uh they're going to be some cheaper and some more expensive what did you find yeah. to be the cheapest country and what did you find to be the most expensive country from your trip Ooh, interesting um most expensive country we went to was the us um, which probably uh yeah but yeah the us and australia were particularly expensive again new zealand was also a similar price i think the cheapest one is it's probably either china or cambodia cambodia was really cheap um because it's just you know less touristy and less developed than than we are here although um, there are some places which are just end up being pricey because you're on an island and it's the only place you can go to the island, so therefore they're going to charge you twice as much as they would otherwise. But in Southeast Asia, generally, was the same price again. But it's difficult, isn't it? Because if if you're going to go do something relatively touristy, you know you're going to end up paying, you know, probably slightly more than you would normally. Likewise, if you're in India and you go to, you know, a local restaurant where you know the guide is taking you, it's going to be quite cheap. But if you end up going to the restaurant which has got all the white people in, you know you're going to end up paying <laughs> yeah. a little bit more. So it's just about being sensible. You you could go to any country and spend any much as you want. You just you just have a different experience depending on how much you go up by. So um but I think yeah Cambodia and China in particular were, were noticeably probably under budget from what we we put in. And I think I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Did you work at all? during your trip no we we made the decision to just not do any work we were like i, I think if we got into a point where we were really hard up for cash we probably would have like stuck it out in australia do a couple of weeks farming or whatever but mm. now we we we'd, we'd we'd worked hard 
in the 10 months beforehand to make sure we didn't have to work when we were there, which is the, which is the point. I think when we got into December and we were getting ready to he head home, we both started sort of updating our CV a little bit and doing a little bit of like, uh, I guess, life admin, which, which isn't, you know, work, we weren't being paid for it, but it, you know, I think we started realizing we had to get a little bit more serious about things then. So, uh, but no, other than that, no, no work at all. And I want to talk about the accommodation you had because an array of accommodation. So you've got mm -hmm. hostels, you've got camper vans, overnight trains. What was the decision behind each of those? Basically, if, we, if we're staying in the city, we'd be staying in a hostel. The camper van, you know, if you're going to go somewhere like Australia where the infrastructure isn't as good as is maybe in Western Europe around like sort of trains um, and buses, then you you know you can get a camper van and you can you can arrive in Cairns and you can drive it one way to Sydney and you know it will cost you X amount. You know how much you have to pay up front that's done and dusted and then you can go wherever you want and that sort of freedom in those places um w w was good you know we could have got a greyhound bus which is kind of good you're going to go cairns then you're going to go to uh, you know stay in queensland and brisbane and then a couple of other places but you, you're not going to have a freedom that we were looking for mm. the overnight trains were basically a way for us to save money on travel because we would then save the cost of a hostel so um in, in vietnam you can get a 12-hour overnight train um which would take you take you down the coast you know that's a train journey we're gonna have to make anyway so we might as well do it and sleep as well and, and generally speaking the overnight train trains were pretty good um the one in vietnam was slightly awkward when the the free uh is me my wife and three other vietnamese dudes and they all just started smoking from like midnight to like 4 a.m just in this wow compact thing um it was a rickety old thing and i was on the on the top bunk and every time it shook i was convinced it was going to sort of smash down on top of my on top of georgia um and they smoked the like the entire night and it's just one of those things we tried to tell them no and they were like now nah, we're just going to carry and do it but they, they at least opened a window which when they first started doing they hadn't done uh yeah i don't think i got much sleep that night I've, i watched i watched an unbelievable amount of let me let me snick it on uh, netflix because it's all i had downloaded on my phone whereas one whereas overnight train we had in china which i think was Chengdu to Jian. we had a sort of a um, a mum and her daughter she was going to try to see see family again didn't speak a word of english but was sort of offering us noodles and dumplings and uh, again because she had their eight-year-old daughter they were asleep by 11am and we could kind of we didn't have anything to worry about so the main reason we do own our trains to save money but again you you see more of the countryside you see more of the people than you would otherwise and generally they're pretty reliable as well so yeah and what what class did you travel in i think the vietnamese trains were first class because it's like it's like first class sleeper where you get a bed or or standard sleeper where you just get a seat so mm. we're like okay we actually want a bed and it wasn't yeah. the price difference wasn't huge and then in china i don't think it was like the top class but it's one below it which again you get you know you get a bed you get um a little bathroom we could have gone up to first class we wanted but we like again similarly we you don't want to feel like you're trying to avoid everything all the time so yeah. we were just like yeah we'll just go there and yeah it was great and, and generally generally travel we we on trains during it we just got the, the just the standard class i think the only i think the only time we did get a we got sort of bumped ourselves up to like was extra leg room on a on a six-hour bus journey in malaysia personally because i'm six foot two and uh, malaysians aren't the tallest people so i was like we, we i need the extra leg room <laughs> yeah good smart decision i think <laughs> and talking about your camper van experiences i tallied up on the spreadsheet that you did a total of 11 weeks in camper vans across three different countries yeah how did you find that <laughs> um mixed australia was really good because the weather was nice and most like australia is a country which is really set up for camper vanning like it is it's like they obviously do it's like which you know, expats and tourists do so most places you go to you're going to get a place you can cook uh, a place you can shower and also like some seclusion so you can get a good night's sleep and that's that's not just from the paid campsites but also they have pretty good uh, free campsites even in their national parks or sort of just on the side of roads where you know it's actually pretty good new zealand again has a similar setup but we're at this point where um we sort of in the spring of new zealand it was getting a bit colder whereas in the states i think it's only in california where you where they legally have to give you a shower oh really yeah the free camp there weren't as many free campsites you you either had to go to the national park which would cost you a bit of money um or you didn't find a campsite and what you end up doing is sleeping in walmart car parks a lot and that's not a that's not a uh, idiot christian's gone and slept in a walmart car park it's a yeah. you drive past walmart Walmart at 9pm and there are lots of camper vans getting ready to stay there for the night because yeah. Walmart are happy to let you stay overnight. It's 24 hours, there's a security guard on, there's cameras. Like it's, it's actually a pretty good place to go and sleep overnight. But there, were, there was a particular period where I don't know why, but we like we didn't have a shower for five days. And 
it was like this is we need to stop this we need to find somewhere where we can have a shower and cook some hot food because this is getting ridiculous yeah so is it overall a method of transport and accommodation which you would recommend oh 100 yeah yeah you can't not drive in the states you, there's, there's mm. no trains there's no like if you can fly places but again that's going to be really expensive you could rent a car and get in motels but again you know the cheapest motel is going to be 65 dollars a night whereas i think our camper van was $45 a night, maybe even less, maybe like 39, sorry, maybe like 39 pounds a night. I don't, I don't remember, but you just have to do it. So in the States, 100%, in all 100%, again, in New Zealand, New Zealand probably, there's probably less places you can go to. So if you wanted to kind of do drive for a day, stay in a hotel, drive again, then that's fine. But again, we had a campan, it was big, we had a bed, most campsites were pretty cheap. You got cooking places. We were going out for dinner anyway, so it it worked out all right. Yeah, awesome. And in terms of accommodation overall, are there any tips that you'd give in terms of maybe arriving in a location and booking a hostel or getting good deals? Sure. So um, we there are two websites we use predominantly. One was called acardo.com, and the other one is booking.com. Booking.com, generally speaking, had the best prices. Um, and if they didn't have the best price, they'd price match. And the other thing that booking.com is, which is really helpful is once you do a certain amount of bookings, I think it's 10, you get a genius membership, which allows you to cancel up to some, in some places like two hours before. So wow. if you have a lost change of plans, you can, and, and that genius membership is for life. So we were actually due to go to Japan back in March for our sort of our belated honeymoon. And it, it we literally, I think we were due to fly on the 17th of March and it was like peak, peak yeah. over time. So we didn't go, but all of the, all of the hotels I bought, hotels I booked I'd done through booking.com um and I was able to cancel straight away so we didn't have to pay anything um which which bearing in mind we cancelled sort of two days after having to leave was was pretty impressive so those were the main sites and then what we tended to do was just cross-reference the websites to make sure that the places like were legitimate and similarly we used a couple of like travel websites like learningplanet.com to see sort of see who they were recommending and then sort of we'd have two or three we'd look at and then we'd look at the area and decide which one we'd go to based on that yeah mate Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So I wanted to move on to the things you did because some of the photos you took on your Instagram and also just from again, I don't want to bring up the spreadsheet too much, but the, <laughs> the spreadsheet pulled up some amazing things, which I would absolutely love to do. So Taj Mahal, the cooking classes, forest monkey tours, Thai yeah. boxing in Bangkok, first seals yeah. in Milford Sound. Yeah. Did you have a list of everything you wanted to do? Not really. I think the, there are some obvious ones, like you can't go to, you can't go to sort of Delhi and not make the trip to go see with Taj Mahal because you'd be an idiot not to. Yeah. Um, similarly, Thai boxing, we, we made a decision when we got there because it was recommended the Great Wall of China was another one we wanted to do because you know 
you can go to Beijing, why not go do it? So a lot of them were sort of coincidental in respect of, well, if you can go to this place, you might as well go do the big thing yeah. that's there to do. But otherwise, most things were, were pretty random. I think the, the only thing we sort of detoured to make sure we did was we wanted to, I wanted to go see the orangutans in, mm. in North Sumatra. And that was, that was like one thing we went and we were like, okay, if we go to Indonesia, then we're going to have to go up here to do it. And then we're going to have to come back down. So it was, it was, that's probably the only place we were like, okay, we, we're going to this specific place to do this specific thing. And then we're leaving again. And, but again, I mean, that was just ridiculous. It's, it's yeah. just, just the most insane experience. You're just walking along for a jungle and all of a sudden there's an orangutan there. And they're, they're more impressive in person. And you can you can kind of possibly imagine. So I, I think I also had a bit of climate change and deforestation in my head around it. I was like, I want yeah. to make sure I see them before, yeah. um, so I can tell my kids that I did see them in case they do go extinct. So, but other than that, it was kind of a little bit just like on a whim. Like we'd see mm. something like oh, I see that. The, the one thing I did get obsessed with was whales in in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> so we 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 just happened to be driving down Australia at the same time as the whales have their southerly migration. So the whole way along, as we're driving along the coast, and and the, the main road in Australia along the along the east coast is literally, for most parts of it, next to the, next to the sea. And then you'd sort of come inland and there'd be a city, and then you'd come back out and you'd be against the sea again. You, we'd be seeing these whales the whole time. And I just wow. got really obsessed. And every time we had an opportunity to get on a boat and go see see some whales, it's like, come on, it's only yeah. forty bucks. Let's go and see some whales. Um, and we got quite fortunate. We saw yeah sleeping humpback whales and a few other things yeah we did we we, we packed a lot of experiences in yeah it sounds incredible mate do you have a favorite from all of those question the thai boxing was really fun because we i think back to your point earlier about making a conscious decision to be backpackers all all the all the white people were ringside like as close to boxing kid and we we made the conscious decision to be like no we don't want to do that we want to be in amongst it with the, the normal crowd and we did that and that was just an insane experience where I had sort of time in trying to bet with me and I was like dude I don't even know what's going I don't know how to score points of this I'm just enjoying the chaos and um, they had a, like a very weird betting system where you sort of caught some of the eyes you showed them how many fingers and that would be a bet and I'd be, I was like we're just trying to avoid looking at anyone the entire time we were there so that was that was that was a pretty mad experience India just is 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 pretty crazy I mean, there's just so much history everywhere like just everywhere I think if, if I had to pick two things that I'd do again, the orangutans for me was a highlight. Um, and likewise, the Great Wall of China was spectacular. And uh, we we went to the part of the wall, which is which hasn't been rebuilt. It's like you can kind of just go wild hiking on it. And it sounds stupid because it is called a Great Wall. But I mean, it is really just, yeah. it just doesn't, it just goes on as far as the eye can see. And you, you walk for four, four hours and it just carries on going and there's no end in sight to it. Mm. So I would yeah, thoroughly recommend if anyone ever goes to Beijing to just to make the decision early on to get out there and, and see it. Yeah, I'm planning a trip to South Korea next year, fingers crossed, to see a friend. Oh, fun. Would you recommend taking that trip to Beijing from South Korea whilst I'm there? Oof, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's again difficult because, I mean, I guess you're probably going to be off for like maximum 10 days, right? Yeah, so, 14 probably. Okay, so if you were if you were able to pop over to to Beijing to do four days, and you, we we didn't do all of Beijing, but we got we saw a decent chunk of the touristy attractions uh, in four days. So you can definitely do it, but getting a visa there is a bit of a nightmare. I mean, you might not even be able to get a visa via South Korea. You you tend to have to get it in advance. We were quite lucky because we went via Hong Kong, um, which was a constant decision because in Hong Kong you can you can get one in like three days. So we go to we went to the visa office, got our visa. You know, did all the forms, uh, pictures, showed them that we were planning to leave. They, they then went and got our visas and we went and got it stamped and went back in. But I think any other routes, it can be quite fiddly. Good to know, mate. I have no idea. So you saved me a lot of hassle. So you mentioned at the start that you're a foodie, uh, something I would classify myself as as well. So I'm going to pick your brains on this one because I can't wait to hear about it. How much money did you give yourself to spend on food? I think it was like 20%, 25%, something like that. Like it was, like it was a decent size. But again, we went with the intention of eating, eating like locals do. We didn't go with the intention of going to sort of some of the fancy restaurants in places you know uh, which actually I, I think I kind of regret a little bit because um, if you're anything like me where you watch various Netflix documentaries about food places around the world every now and then something will come up it'll be like oh we were in Bangkok and we totally should have gone to that <laughs> restaurant or oh, we were in Sydney and we didn't go to that restaurant either that's really irritating yeah we we set a decent decent budget and I mean yeah we we, we ate our way around, <laughs> around most of Asia it, 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 and, and like 
I, I laugh about it now, but it got to a point that sometimes we were like, we were just so bored of trying to find a restaurant to go to, which sounds mad. Like now I would just be like buzzing to be out there, but at some point we'd be like, oh, we're going to eat out again. <laughs> oh, this is rubbish. What are we going to do? And we'd be pouring over sort of tourist books and we, we, we were quite picky about where we wanted to go. If we were going to go spend money somewhere, we wanted it to be good. Yeah. So we'd end up just spending a lot of time researching these restaurants. But yeah, I think, I think it was probably about 15, 25%. And did you try any new adventurous foods on your trip? Obviously you get the scorpion and the like out there did you venture into any of that we we i drew the line at like insects and scorpions um but we did eat a lot of mad fruits and we did eat a lot of sort of entrails yeah um sort of like other parts i think we went on a um we went on a food tour in kuala lumpur and like the first place the guy take, took us was like eat that i'm not going to tell you what it is it's like okay and it was like it's like it was like this chewy chewy i don't know like almost like beef jerky and he was like last intestines i was like okay cool we're underway what else yeah. have you got for me yeah. and it, i mean the thing is most people go oh and it was surprisingly good no 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 i was happy yeah. to eat, but none of it none of it was any good and then in, in china we we ended up going to quite a lot of hot pot places and um the way they charge you is basically how many sticks you buy and you go into a fridge you you pick up a plate it has a load of sticks on and then at the end they come up count weigh the sticks and that's how much you pay and we had Google Translate on our phone because uh, English isn't isn't very well spoken. Some places we're going to in China, and you'd scan it, and it just be it would just say like pork bits, and you'd be like, "Oh, that's a that's a risky decision." <laughs> or you or you look at something and you'd be like, "It'd be like entrails." I mean, it, it, it was like undecipherable entrails. You'd be like, "Okay, we can probably leave that one to one side." Yeah. But but then you just get bored and you're like, oh, we'll just, that, looks, that looks like chicken breast. We'll, we'll show that on it. It could be anything, I don't know. But once you stick it in a, in a chilli broth yeah. and it cooks, it tastes pretty good. So, yeah. Yeah, nice. And is there a single country where you would say had the best food? So um, my wife grew up for a little bit in Singapore when she was younger. And okay. we always tried to go to Singapore because the food there is ridiculous. And I mean, I, I, I don't think I've seen much of Singapore other than the restaurants. <laughs> and we've been three or four times now and we go for three or four days and it's just, we, we have a set routine of where we go. And I, I think the best places for food were the places where there is just real mixed national cultures. So, mm. so Malaysia and Singapore with sort of Chinese, Indian, Malay influences, it just ended up being delicious. I mean, if I had to pick, Singapore would be the country, but if I had to pick one place, it'd be um, Georgetown, which is uh, the main city in an island in Penang, um, which is mm. sort of a couple of hours north of Kuala Lumpur. And it used to be um, sort of a free port. So you walk around the city and there'd be sort of like uh, British buildings and there'd sort of be like Indian-based buildings and there'd sort of be Chinese-type style buildings. And it was a real mixed mash of sort of cultures, but the food there was just ridiculous. And people rent stalls in the morning and like one dude might do it on a Monday and he might have the best, I don't know, hoisted duck on a Monday yeah. morning. And if you miss him, he's not, you can't find him again. Oh. Um, so there was one day, I think we went to, it was, on the, it was actually on the corner near a hostel. We were quite fortunate. It was like a Chinese uh, a pork char suey with just plain rice and like this lime juice. I cannot, re I cannot recreate it as yeah. hard as I try. <laughs> I've been to so many restaurants where they're like, oh, best Malaysian char suey, you know, lime juice. And I keep going and every time I try it again, I'm like, it just isn't as good. I'm so oh. disappointed. Um, so I would I would thoroughly recommend going there. Mm. Yeah, so probably Singapore and Malaysia would be two places. But again, I think most places we went to, the, the food was, yeah, very good. Just because I love talking about food, I'm going to try and push you for a second best dish. If char suey is your top what would you say for number two that is um so i have to go for a singaporean dish there's um it's called murtabak mm. um and it's 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 i think it's sort of an indian based dish but essentially it's um you can't really get it in the uk and you can't really get it anywhere else i don't know why even like pretty decent um singaporean restaurants like there's singapore kitchen sort of in north london and there's there's a place in euston which does sort of indian style malaysian style singaporean food they don't do it but it's it's basically you have a lamb or chicken and it's it's layered lamb like pancakes but like phyllo pancakes and it, they wrap it and it's late so it's like layer of meat layer of pancake layer of meat layer of pancake and then it's covered in like a curry sauce and it's just, it, I mean, it must be like 4,000 calories. It's ridiculous. But um, you know it's good when the guy who's serving you has got like a proper like, like he's not fat, he's got like a pot belly. He's got like a, he looks like he's going to have to like start taking injections and it's like all centralized. Yeah, that would be my second dish, I think. Nice. We'll go with that. And uh, obviously earlier I mentioned that you went to some cooking classes. 
did you pick up any tips from those which you're now implementing in the kitchen at home um so it's really a good pestle and water is the main thing like make your own pastes like spend a lot of time making your own paste and freeze it and crush it and do those but that's one thing other than that it's just it's not it's it's not too dissimilar doing cooking at home if you're like doing a stew like if you cook something for you know a a low temperature for a long time in a sauce it's going to be tender if you cook it hard it's going to be harder we love in this house garlic chili and onion as a as a just a combination Um, me too man so so i think we use it all the time (laughs) and um but other than that no it's i think the main thing is what there's also stuff which you can't get in your typical typical shop so in particular sort of chinese cooking you can't get um so beet uh, like red bean paste you have to go to sort of asian supermarkets to get hold of that and likewise thai basil again is you're starting to see a little bit more but specifically thai basil rather than just basil is a little bit hard to get hold of so those sort of missing ingredients have always been a bit of a pain but other than that um yeah we, we 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 love asian food anyway so we, we we eat a lot of it and i think it was mostly so we could we could come back and be like okay we can we can cook a um a banging rice dish and a banging noodle dish now and we can cook for family and friends and feel confident that what we're making is authentic rather than you know making it up amazing i'm sure it tastes really really good so <laughs> I, it's so good to hear about all the food of southeast asia but now i want to talk about your instagram account so okay yeah. that's it's at just ordinary travelers if anyone wants to go back and have a look but i yeah. loved following your trip just it was wanderlust basically from home <laughs> obviously we, we only met on that one occasion but i kind of felt yeah. like i was following you as a couple around it where did that idea come from oh, um i am a relatively amateur photographer and by amateur i mean i just have an slr camera and i like mm. to take it out with me um and i wanted to get better at photography so it, it was it was t- it was like a targeted decision in that respect um and likewise we had you know we had friends and family who wanted to keep keep track of what we were up to and what we we're doing so i probably spent probably too much time more than i needed to like learning like proper photography skills including photoshop and you know you know tweaking images and all that type of stuff so that was that was the main decision behind it really yeah i was going to move on to the improvement because genuinely when i was looking back today to get an idea of the content which you uh, took whilst you're out there the improvement is is really evident as you go from the start mm. all the way through what kind of camera kit did you use when you're out there um, thank you firstly that's very kind of you to say um it was yeah i'm pleased you liked it um i literally had a a canon e eos 1 d which i got for my 21st birthday so it was already six years old by then i had a the kit lens it came with i had two other lenses a long lens and a macro lens and that was it, mm. it nothing nothing to, i think i think you could probably get all of that gear probably for like 250 quid if that like nice. even cheaper um and then i had photoshop as well which which i have which i have just on my laptop so um but i use that mostly for you know tweaking a couple of things and you know making it yeah, in- instagrammable it, yeah. i mean it really was just a nine-month trip to for me to improve my instagram game so. <laughs> smashing it though past the test um and could you feel yourself improving throughout the nine months i think i think i could to be fair i think I found myself taking less pictures as I went along. So I, I knew that I was, I was getting a picture. I was like, okay, I know what I want to do that rather than taking, I think at the start, I was taking just like a thousand pictures and go and towards the end, of, you know, a day out, it might be like 200 pictures. So I was being much quicker. And the other thing as well is you, I got slightly more confident about what I wanted as I went along. So I, I didn't, I didn't, at any point really feel particularly comfortable asking to take pictures of people because i think i think when you're going to some someone's space i think i think that's quite an intimidating thing to do especially as a tourist you know you don't want to be going up somebody like oh, can i take your picture because yeah. one it's you can even be a little bit condescending or two it's, it's a little bit like um i don't feel that comfortable doing it but as i got along i felt more comfortable either you know taking like candid pictures of people or going up going with people and asking them to take pictures and i think there's there's one i have of a of a monk um, in 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 Beijing, staring out of his window, watching a sort of a, a procession go past, and I think it's one of the only pictures we have on our walls from our trip. Mm. Um, and I absolutely love it because it's a it's a real candid moment. And he obviously, yeah, um, I don't think he was aware of I was taking it, but it was a it's, which probably isn't worse than actually asking him if he wanted me to take it in the first place. But if that was about, it was at that point, I was like, okay, actually, this is this, I'm I'm quite happy with this and where it's got to. And likewise, I had yeah, friends and family blowing up my DMs saying how great this was. So it was a bit of a confidence boost as we went along too. Nice. And you mentioned the photo of the monk, but is that your favourite photo you took on your trip? Uh, no, the my the favourite photo I took on my trip was, um, and this is actually going to be a little bit soppy, but it's the um, picture of my of my wife with her engagement ring on um, in 
Times Square, well, not Times Square, it was um, at Rockefeller Center because we got engaged on our last night of the trip, yeah. um, which, which was again, another complication to, to kind of plan. So that was my favorite picture because it's sort of a very candid picture of the two of us where we were by ourselves. No one else knew we'd been engaged at that point. So it sort of has a, has a special memory. If I had to pick a, an actual traveling picture, then there's, I've got a couple, there's one in Beijing of the, of the, of the monk. There's one of the Great Wall of China where you can, there's like a imposing one in the foreground and you kind of kind of see it winding it behind the background or or there's a couple i've got of sort of baby orangutans which just melt my heart every time i look at them um so those have kind of been my my i guess my few favorites and that's an amazing segue as well onto your engagement story because i <laughs> i had it written down in that exact order to move on to your engagement because oh, nice. when i was at home and obviously i've following your trip that trip and seeing uh it end in the proposal was almost like a fairy tale in a way i remember being made up by the fact that you were engaged thanks mate it's um yeah it's i think it was partly because well me and my me and my wife had been together for about i think eight or nine years and so it was, it was kind of expected she there's 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 never any doubt that we were going to get married she was always like the idea of getting um, engaged in new york um at christmas which is you know a very cliche type thing but again again back to my point of like well if you're in new york at christmas you might as well get engaged right so <laughs> um yeah it was a really nice end of the trip and also i think the other thing it did did for us was you, you, you come away from this sort of you know at that point coming up to nearly two year period where all you've been doing is planning 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 doing 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 and I think if we if we come back to the UK in January it was already going to be the mother of January blues mm. and not to have anything to kind of look forward to would have been quite difficult so it, it was a little bit of like a, okay if we have something else to look forward to we can yeah. start sort of putting our mind towards that as well but yeah, it was nice. I mean, I mean, it was a complete surprise to her, which was really good. Um, her parents had actually had actually uh, joined us in Sydney, um, sort of three months prior, and I'd done I'd done the typical thing of asking them if I could marry their daughter, and um, her dad spat the beer out, and her mum burst into tears while Georgia was getting drinks. Oh, and wow. yeah, I know. So Georgia came back with a tray of sort of pints because we're at the pub, and um, her mum's was sat outside but underneath a big canopy like we're completely mishade just had to put her sunglasses on and it's just like i can just see her like gently sobbing as as because she, she can't believe what you know i'm going to propose yeah. and then i had the complication of getting the engagement ring which i got mm. i got in the states had to ship it to a friend who who again um i worked with uh who was in new york at the time tom mcgovern who, who was an absolute hero and, and looked after the ring for me dropped it off to my hotel before we got there and yeah it, it was lovely the, the only downs the only downside of it was and it's not a downside but it's, it was again a, a late complication was um i booked this sort of uh, you know last night in new york flying back to the uk the next day and um, i booked us uh this um the rainbow rooms at the top of the rockefeller center and you can go up there you don't have to pay to book a table you can go up there and get drinks you can get one of the best views in new york you know it, it's i think it's higher than the empire state building viewing platform I think it is, yeah. but you don't have to pay 50 dollars to get there Anyway, I was promised that this sort of place would be like, you know, relatively intimate, like you can have like a private one-to-one -one conversation. And at this point, I think it must be like the 25th of December, 90th of December. We get there and it is like table, 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 table. I was rubbing yeah. elbows with a dude next to me. So we sat there having a drink. I don't really remember much from the rest of the day because I was panicking the entire day. In the opposite corner to where we are, there's a proposal and the room erupts and cheers and chance of USA, USA goes on. And as... as as my wife is clapping, sort of smiling politely at the new new couple, she she leans over to me. And she says, "I'd absolutely hate it if you did that to me." And I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." So <laughs> panic stations hit, um, and thankfully, my obsession with photography again got me through because I went and spoke to the barman. I was like, "Look, I want to propose." that's really just put me off and I don't want chance of you so going around this bar um I've been taking lots of photos I see you're setting up a room there which is in pitch black it's sort of the other side of the building I think we were setting up for a conference or something can I when we leave pop in there propose and then we'll, and then we'll be gone you know if you could pretend to be irritated I'm asking if we can go in there that'd be really helpful and he was like sir absolutely not a problem at all uh -huh. he, he takes it you know we, we pay our bill I ask him and he kind of re like really really goes <sighs> if you have to, and sort of drags us through. Um, so I take my pictures, um, and then as I'm putting my camera away, I 
pull out of a ring, didn't get down on one knee, absolutely panicked, didn't get down uh-huh. on one knee, um, passed her on the ring. She then told me to F off. Um, <laughs> sort of, as Tia interrupted, we got engaged. And then the same dude who'd just been very rude to me came with two glasses of champagne on the house um, as we had sort of this very private moment sort of overlooking New York by ourselves. So by all accounts, I did very well, according to uh, yeah. my wife's friends. So um, I would highly recommend it. <laughs> Oh, amazing story, mate, and a fairy tale ending to your trip as well. Is there a place that you would go back to from your trip? Yeah, so we're actually um, we're actually planning to go back to Bangkok. Um, I mean, I go back to most of it. To be fair, I would maybe hold off going back to India immediately. Um, most places we went to in Southeast Asia, and again, if you can afford to go to Australia, New Zealand, just like as a holiday, then yeah, you would. But we're actually planning to go to Bangkok um, next year for our thirtieth birthdays. So we, I think we're going at the start of next June. You know all things being well um, mm. with, with obviously the, the pandemic. Um, so that's the current plan. Um, and then we're going to go to the Thai Islands, sort of south, which we didn't do when we were traveling. We went north. So um, again, going to a city we loved um, and then doing a different part of the country, which we didn't do when we were traveling. So um, that is my other plan. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be going back to places we've been to before. But again, trying to add um, a little bit more of a spin to where to where we, to, to what we did. Yeah, and you you mentioned that you would go back to everywhere, but is there a place perhaps that you wouldn't go back to? Yeah, I mean, Medan, which is the capital city of Sumatra, I, I really struggled with. Yeah, I mean, it took us two and a half hours to drive 30 kilometres from the airport to our, our hostel, which kind of gives you the indication of the, of the traffic there. We were pretty central, couldn't, like, couldn't find anywhere to eat. Yeah, really struggled. North Sumatra is amazing because of it has the orangutans in the north and, um, and I think it's not Bukit Luang, um, the place we, the village we stayed in where we went to go to the orangutans was really sweet and there were some really good food places there. But yeah, if you, if you do plan going to North Sumatra, stay in Medan for as little time as you possibly can. Ideally, don't go at all. That would be that would be my slightly harsh recommendation. I think that's uh, good to hear. Uh, if you had to pick a favourite country from your entire trip, which would you choose? Oh, Alex, these, these questions question, are very, I'm sorry. These questions are really <laughs> difficult. I think the country which took us by surprise is is China. I don't know why. I don't know whether it's because of just a lack of education around the country generally, or or or, or whatever. I think I think we had expected China to be way more run down way less organized way less you know tourist friendly i think probably but not, not not even tourist friendly but like outsider friendly than 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 we expected but we were continually blown away by the friendliness of people by the reliability of places by you know i mean it, it sounds silly but you know even things like ordering a cab like mm. of course of course there's an app in china where you can order <laughs> a cab like, of course there is but you don't think about that when you go into it so mm. um you know the subway is being super clean and then like like one thing which stands out for me we're in um uh, chongqing which is um sort of north of um, north, if you go sort of directly north right into the country from from Hong Kong, it's sort of up there. It's near Chengdu, which is which is where the pandas are. And we're we're going on the subway, and most of it was in was in Chinese. Obviously, there's a couple of you know most of the major cities have have English signs, but most of them don't. And we didn't know where we were going. And this dude um, got off. He 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 was on the platform with us, and he he we pointed where we need to go, and he was like, okay, follow me. And he got on the train, and he stood with us. He stood with us for like six stops, got off. And then as he got off, he he grabbed a guard who then took us outside. As we were leaving, I saw that he got back onto the other side of the platform to go back where he came. So he'd obviously come with us purely to show us. But you know, he went the opposite direction that he needed to go, purely to show us where we where we should go. Wow. Um, and that was, you know, that was fairly atypical. Again, that hot pot restaurant I was talking about earlier. Mm. Um the, the 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 waitress didn't speak a word of English. We, we obviously didn't speak a word of um, Mandarin. She has sort of got the menus in front of her face, and as she she puts them down on the table, she sees us and she just panics. She just goes, <laughs> she she like like clearly just panics, and she she goes, she holds her hands up and sort of does sort of wait, and then she just ran off down the street, and we were like, oh have we done something awful? What's going to happen here? Uh, no, it turns out that there's a dude that she knows in a couple of restaurants down the road who speaks English and she went and grabbed him and pulled him up to go speak to us. Wow. And all he said was like, she wants to know what you'd like to eat. I was like, <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. So, so I think, I think China was, um, you know, don't, you know, don't listen to all the stories you hear in the media. Don't, it's, it is an insane country mm. full of culture, full of smiles and laughs and, and people who are, who went above and beyond, I think, friendliness we experienced in other countries to sort of make sure that we 
we felt like everyone else around us. So good to hear. It's a country which you've just added to my bucket list. So there we go. Hundred <laughs> percent. Is there a favourite city from your whole trip? I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you three. Yeah, of course. Um, man. We 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 discovered pretty early on that we 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 were slightly more cosmopolitan. We liked being in. We liked being in the bigger cities. Mm. I I really liked Hong Kong. Mm. I really liked Bangkok. I really liked Singapore. I actually have a. I actually have a list. I'll send it to you after the season. Yeah. We actually, we actually, we actually ranked every single city we went to. As you've seen in my spreadsheets, oh. we're we're we're, dis- we're very organised. I actually ranked every single one, but um, Hong Kong. I, I mean, we we were obviously there before. Sort of they're having difficulties they're having now, so it might be slightly different now. But um, again, I think having being being British. There's a lot of there's a lot of English signs around. Like people are very warm and welcoming to, to British people. Um, there's a lot of British culture still there, and the food was really good. The people were really friendly, but it, it kind of had like a it kind of had an underside where you went, oh, if you really wanted to, you could get, you could do some mad stuff here. Like yeah. if you if you wanted to go and get really boozed up with some randoms you'd never met and just be taken into the dark of the city and you know come out sort of bleary eyed the next day, you probably could. Um, similarly bangkok has that type of vibe and um, bangkok really surprised us again i don't know what we were expecting but mm. a really super modern cosmopolitan city which had you know high-rise cocktail bars and cd underground noodle bars which you could which went sort of side by side and that was really cool um and i think as i said before we, we really like singapore as a city which is almost like the opposite of hong kong where you there's a there's not much of a cd underside yeah. singapore is very clean and there's you know chewing gum is banned and all that type of stuff but um yeah, those, those three cities stood out. And, and of course, New York and yeah, loads, loads of places. Yeah. Loads of places. Mumbai. I'm, I'm a bit cruel for making you pick one, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you had a gun to my head, I was like, which one? Which one? Well, but then again, it's like, which one would I live in and which one would I visit? Are like completely different. Yeah. Completely different situations. I think I, I would quite happily go live in Hong Kong, I think. I could mm-hmm. see myself living there. Um, whereas likewise, Bangkok, I could see myself staying for a couple of weeks, but maybe not living and working there. But um, yeah. Is living abroad something you've ever wanted to do? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, I think I'd like to, but you know, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? It's, mm. You've got to be almost in the right time, the right place. And my wife's career is probably slightly, slightly more geared up to being able to work abroad. She she works sort of, sort of within global markets, so it's slightly easy for her. Whereas, whereas for me, you know, I'm, I'm as you know, I'm I'm, I'm sport. It's very sport specific, so I kind of have to go where you know where the money and the sports are, and you know that's predominantly in the West or the US. You know, I could go. Um, you know, I don't know what I'd be adding to, um, you know, the Hong Kong, Hong Kong rugby sevens particularly. And again, but that's not going to be a centralized race. So, yeah, it's definitely not. Uh, it comes back to our chat earlier about commitments, right? You know, we've got a dog now, we've got a mortgage now. You know, we're probably we're probably not very far from from wanting to start to start thinking about having kids. So, it, it, all of those things tie into it. So, it's definitely not for cards, but I think it's it's getting harder. I'd imagine. Mm. Yeah. And I want to touch on life after traveling. So after being away for nine months and living this amazing dream lifestyle, how hard was it to come back to normal life? Well, I think we had a little bit, we had a little bit of a honeymoon period because we, we came back over Christmas. So, you know, we, we, had, I think we, kept, we landed back on the 21st of December and then we went and surprised our friends at a Christmas party that evening, which was quite nice. And then yeah. we sort of had like, we gave ourselves like 10 days to kind of settle back into like a normal routine and, and not be worrying about things. And, I think I think if anything, after nine months, we were we were pretty ready to come home. We were were done sort of being on the move all the time. We were a little bit done with trains, planes, automobiles. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, we we started gearing ourselves up for returning. I think the biggest thing which which we realised very quickly was all the panics, all the fear we had about readjusting and getting a job and you know being normal again were kind of relatively unfounded. We both ended up getting a job pretty quickly. Um, you know, good good jobs as well, not just like, oh, panic and grab the first job we can. We, we were able to be a little bit picky. So I, I think the other thing as well is that just, just that whole process has given us so much more confidence about what we do just generally. Mm. You know, going through that experience and, you know, knowing, okay, even just as a couple being like, okay, we, we've been with each other literally for nine months. There was, I don't think it was a single point where we were, we, the longest time we were apart was maybe two hours, if that. Mm. I think that's because I think that's because George was feeling unwell one evening, and I went out to eat by myself, and that was it. We were like conjoined twins for nine months, which which would have been awkward if I'd then proposed and she said no. But um, yeah, she's like, no, the trips really made me reassess my situation. So no, we we actually didn't find adjusting adjusting too difficult, but. I could imagine. I can imagine that if you came back and you felt like you hadn't done stuff you wanted to do, that it would be very difficult. And and even now, I, I, every now and then, I'm like, we could just go traveling again. Yeah. Like we could, 
we could just we could just put the we take the dog with us now it's fine we could just go traveling and um i think i think george is less convinced than i am but um yeah and i'm sure i know the answer to this question but would you urge people to do the same yeah i would i would i really would and i think it taught us as much about ourselves as it did other people and the, and the biggest thing you could take away from me is basically everyone's the same you know people people want to go for a drink they want to spend time with their family. They want to put a roof above their heads and they want to eat good food. And that is like, that is true from not just the people you'll meet, but, um, you know, the people who live in the countries you go to as well. And there's, there's a universal truth in, in I think this is why food is so important, that you can kind of sit down and have a meal with someone and you're having a shared experience. And in a world which is sort of increasingly feeling divided, it was quite nice to go away and remember that actually there's, there's probably more, we have more in common than, than what separates us so in, in that respect it was very important and also likewise it was just a ridiculous experience I mean we did things we did things that I didn't think we'd ever think we do um and as I said I, I still bore people to this day with stories from traveling to the point where I think even now we're getting a little bit bored we're like yes Christian you know you went traveling which is going to be hilarious when I'm when yeah. I'm publicizing this podcast but <laughs> hey, did you go did you guys know I went traveling I'm actually someone actually asked me to speak about it which is um I often don't need much prompting to do so okay. um I, I would thoroughly recommend it, but you know, every everybody's everybody's um, circumstances are different. You know, you, you've got to do what's best for you. And I'm not saying go for nine months, but I, I would be I'd be very surprised if after this pandemic is over and you know people are starting to figure out their life balance a little bit more and you know working from Zoom is you know slightly more feasible. But people, it's not going to be an easier thing for people to do. Um, I mean, George's boss was in Thailand when the the pandemic hit, and she worked from Thailand for five months. Wow. We we met we met a couple when we were traveling from uh, Sweden. Their company had said, "Yeah, go traveling, go live in Australia, carry on working, carry on working, carry on doing the hours that you do." And you know, fortunately, they lived they worked jobs which were able to be done remotely, um, and they had awful waking up times. Yeah. But again, they could they could wake up before am work until midday, have the afternoon, do whatever they wanted have a nice meal and then and then sort of get some sleep before the next morning so i think it's going to be easy for people to do and the the positives massively outweigh the negatives oh christy it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast loved hearing your stories and if people want to see some photography some stunning photography from your trip it's just ordinary travelers christy it's been a pleasure thank you mate So there we go, guys. That was episode six of Travel Talks with Christian Harold Baker. It was so great to catch up with him because like we said in the podcast, it's been about four years now since we actually met for the first time. So to hear how he's getting on and all the details about his amazing nine month around the world trip was just an absolute pleasure. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did recording it. And if you did enjoy it, it would really mean a lot to me if you went to whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on and gave it a five-star review. This series has been a massive success and I'm so grateful for the support you've given me. But a five-star review would really, really mean a lot. Thanks for listening, guys, and next week I'll be back with another amazing guest. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.